most dramatic, life-changing things I've heard and encounters I've had is at places like Ashburnham where we give a weekend to meet with God. Praying, worshipping, being in church family and I just want to say don't miss it. You know, you can go to Spain any time you want but Ashburnham only happens once every two years where there's that opportunity to connect with God and meet with him. What better way can you spend a couple of hundred quid than doing that? And actually we say we don't even want you to spend a couple of hundred quid if it's a problem. So just want to put that in there um, as a, a little bit of a, a push. I know for myself, um, absolutely uh, at key moments when we gather together as church. And then the other thing was, I was just reading this earlier. Jesus said this, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations. My house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. So I reckon that prayer meeting next Sunday is about like the most important thing you can come to next week. You may not even know Jesus. Why don't you come along to the prayer meeting and see what Christians do when they gather together and pray to their Father in heaven? I, you know, I, I want to be... You know, I'm only a guest here, so I can be rude. You know, Ali can't be rude, but I can be rude. I want to encourage you, push you to say, come join as we pray five o'clock next Sunday evening. Come and pray. Look, later on in the chapter it says this. Therefore I tell you, this is Jesus talking so it can be trusted. Whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. Wow. I mean, that's outrageous promise in prayer so come seek God join with us as we pray if you don't know how to pray prayer meetings are great places to learn with with teacher um, how to pray and just come and connect and then hang around stay on as we gather together and meet with God with the rest of six o'clock church this morning or this evening or whatever the time is right now I don't have a clue Um, we are going to continue Um, And I'm going to be looking at marriage part two. Um, I thought Andrew served us absolutely phenomenally last week as we looked at the whole what and the why of marriage. I'm going to be preaching out of Matthew chapter 19. Um, If you've got a good memory, you may remember that back last year, we did a preach series in Matthew. And when we got to Matthew 19, we said, actually, we're not going to do it straight away. We're going to pause to give chance for the elders to have a chance to pray and chat through stuff. And uh, so we have paused and now we're going to be uh, looking at Matthew chapter 19 um, together. Have you ever read bits in the Bible and you wondered, cool, I didn't expect to see that in there. I don't know if you ever sort of looked and you thought, wow, that comes as a bit bit of a surprise. Dan, can you put the first slide up for me, please? Who would have thought the Bible would have that in it? And I haven't edited it. That's exactly what it says. It is better not to marry. Now, I, I wonder, I didn't think I would ever um, come across that in the Bible, but it says it there in Matthew chapter 19. And whenever we come across verses, it's always good just that we check the context and uh, see what is going on. And so the whole verse is Matthew 19 verse 10, and it says this. The disciples said to him, if such is the case of a man with his wife, it is better not to marry Well, so this doesn't really help things very much because that means the 12 closest followers of Jesus, after they heard Jesus' teaching on marriage, still came to the conclusion, if that is the case, 
it is better not to marry. And so what I want to do to start with um, is I want to look at what was it that Jesus taught about marriage that made the 12 disciples ask that question. And to put your minds at rest, my intention isn't at the end of having taught this that you all walk out going, oh no, I wonder if I shouldn't have got married or it would be better not to marry. That's not my intention, but it's interesting that that's where Jesus' disciples got to um, after he taught on marriage. So I'm going to spend about a third of the time looking at what Jesus teaches on marriage. We're also then going to spend a bit of time looking about looking at what Jesus teaches about divorce. And then we're going to finish off by, um, I think I described it, how did I describe it? I described it as, um, I don't know, five brilliant things or five brilliant tips which I didn't think actually when I reread it to myself was very modest of me but anyway um, we'll see when we get there at the end some practical tips on marriage as we get to the end so what did Jesus teach on marriage what caused such a response in his disciples well in Matthew 19 verse 4 to 6 this is what Jesus taught and he answered have you not read that he who created them in the beginning made them male and female and said Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. In this passage, we find, we see here, um, Jesus defining marriage as God intended. And he goes right back to the beginning to look at how God meant things to be. Now, I just want to pull out a few uh, pointers, really, from these verses. The first one is this, that, that marriage is God's idea. Marriage isn't man-made, person-made. It wasn't a group of people got together a few thousand years ago and thought, wouldn't it be good to have marriage? No, marriage is God's idea. The second thing that we notice is that God wove marriage into the creation account. It starts in creation. It's part of the creation order. It's, it's not part of the fall. We find right at the beginning, it's between male and female. It was God's idea to create another, like the man, once corresponding to him, being made male and female, and coming together in marriage is all linked to the creation account. Thirdly, we notice that it's God who makes two into one. God joins people together in marriage. They leave their existing family units. They hold fast to one another. And what we've just read is this. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. The result of leaving, holding fast, and the sex that follows is that two separate people become one body. There is a joining together. There is an understanding of permanency and commitment. No need to worry. Um, My jacket is made of predominantly two bits of cloth. There's the outside bit of cloth and the inside lining. Um, They weren't joined together with a zip. They weren't joined together with Velcro or with buttons. They were sewn together. They're they're meant to be together. And if I were to try and remove the lining from the jacket, I couldn't do it without damaging both bits of material. They're meant to be 
permanently joined. It's, it's not a temporary thing. And it's the same with marriage. When, when you're joined in marriage, so I can't get my jacket on now. When you're joined in, in marriage, there's a, a sense of permanency. Like two pieces of cloth being glued together. You, you pull them apart and it damages those that were joined together in the relationship. And it's God who's involved in the joining. It's not the pastor's pronouncement or the will of those involved. God is involved in every lawful marriage. Even ones that end up in divorce, God is involved in the marriage. And our imperfect marriages today are as sacred in the sight of God as Adam and Eve's perfect marriage in the Garden of Eden. They are. They're sacred. Fourthly, I think we're on number four, or we're somewhere around there. Marriage is a covenant, not a contract. I thought what Andrew shared last time uh, was absolutely brilliant about the phone contracts. Marriage isn't like taking out a phone contract that after two years, you think, well, okay, I'll, I'll either keep the same handset, but I'll pay less on the tariff, or, or I'll swap the tariff for a new upgraded model. Marriage isn't like that. Marriage isn't a contract. It's a covenant. Covenant is about the exchange of selves and cannot be ended apart from death. A contract is an exchange of things and can be ended if the conditions are not met. Think about the vows that two people make to each other. I take you to be my lawful wedded wife or husband. To have and to hold from this day forward. For better or for... I mean, when you're stood there, you don't know which way it's going, do you? You hope it's going for better, but you, you don't know. You're not saying, I, I'm married to you for better, but if it gets worse, I'm out. That's, that's not in the vows. You've made a promise for better or worse. Why? Because it's a, con- it's, a, it's a covenant, not a contract. What's next? For richer, for poorer. Well, we're all hoping it's for richer. You know, you may have married on the basis that it was going to be for richer. But you don't know. It's not for richer and if you get poorer, I'm out of here. No, it's for richer or for poorer. Why? Because it's a covenant, not a contract. In sickness... And in health. That's right, Rose. You, you did that in such a beautiful Hastings way. In health. In health. It's true. We, we, we want health. Health. But, but we don't know, do we? If it's sickness. It's a covenant, not a contract. This stuff's tough, isn't it? I know for some of you, even though I'm saying this, it's sort of sinking in and you know that it's true but it's like oh this is hard to love and to cherish to love, cherish and honour till death us do part and within Christian marriage this is particularly true but within any marriage these parts exist so whether it's two believers here today it is true for you whether 
you are a Christian here today and you're married to an unbelieving spouse. That is equally true for you today. You may be here today and, and neither of you believe um, the gospel. You've not given your life to follow Jesus. What he says about marriage is true for you as well. If you're involved in a lawful marriage, then it's true for you. This is such a gift from God and as a community, we need to understand that. That's why we invest into marriage prep. This is the biggest decision you will ever make other than choosing to follow Jesus. And Jesus being perfect, in some ways being a follower of Jesus is easier maybe than being married. With our marriage prep, it's five to seven sessions long. Why? Because we want to know you are ready. We do not take this lightly. We don't want you to take it lightly. As soon as you're thinking, maybe I've got marriage on the horizon, I'd encourage you, at least talk to a mature Christian, but, but actually come talk with one of the elders. Have a chat with us. Talk to one of the pastors. Let us know what you're thinking. We really want to help you. And we won't agree to marry you unless you've done the marriage prep. We take it as a serious thing as we stand here as pastors and we marry two people. We are aware we're doing this in the sight of God. And we give an account for how we have pastored you. That's something about Jesus' teaching on marriage. But what about the divorce question? Is there any way out once you're married? Well, I've read the middle section, which was Jesus' teaching on marriage. It kicks off by saying this in, I think it's in about verse 3. And the Pharisees came to him and tested him by asking, Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? Then Jesus explains about marriage and they respond to him in this way. And they said to him, why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away? He said to them, because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. Next slide. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. The disciples said to him, if such is the case of a man with his wife, it is better not to marry. The question of divorce was a really hot topic in Jesus' day and in many ways within the church it is still a massive, massive subject. The Pharisees were trying to corner Jesus, they were trying to get him into a difficult position. John the Baptist had actually been in prison and, in, and beheaded because he had condemned Herod's um, marriage to his brother's wife. And so John the Baptist had got in all sorts of trouble on the back of it, and the Pharisees were trying to get Jesus into the same trouble. It's interesting to note, though, that when Jesus is looking to answer the divorce question, he doesn't answer it directly. He actually starts by saying, look, this is what marriage is. This is how God intended it. And I want to encourage you, look. Think about what marriage is. Read Bible verses around it. Let it saturate and sink into your heart. It says in Matthew 19 verse uh, 6, So they are no longer two but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. And I just want to start again what I've already said. Look, if you are married, God has joined you together. 
Let that sink in. God has joined you in marriage. Fighting for and not in your marriage is therefore your number one priority. Do all you can to keep the marriage alive, even if it gets into difficult times. If it breaks down, it's not because you didn't try. Have a clear conscience before God that you did all you can to make it work. Now, sometimes marriages do go really wrong and people get hurt. And as a church, we want to be excellent at supporting, loving and pastoring those involved. We want you to know this is a safe place to come if your marriage is broken down. This is a safe place to share if things haven't worked out as you would have liked them to. We want you to know that you can come and talk to us about it. In some very sad instances, marriages break down. That that, that they can't be put back together. And the Bible is real about that. And it gives three headings under which separation or divorce are possible. The first one is abandonment. In 1 Corinthians 7 in particular, it talks about an unbelieving spouse leaving a a believer. And it says there that the believer is is free. They're, They're not tied into that relationship. Secondly, we see, and we saw it in this passage in verse 9, that adultery. I mean, heartbreaking, so sad, but, but cause, can cause that breakdown. doesn't necessarily have to, but it can do. And the last one is abuse. Physical, sexual or emotional abuse. And I just want to say that if you are here today, or if you get in a situation within your marriage where you are in danger, what the elders would say to you is get out and get to a safe place. Don't think twice, just get out and get to a safe place and find someone that you can trust. If you're in a relationship where you're not in physical danger, but but you feel like you're being controlled, that is a controlling situation, please can I ask you talk to one of us as elders talk to one of the pastoral team. We will, not, we, we, will, we will not judge. We are safe to talk to. We will not react. We will not jump to conclusions. Bring someone with you if you want to. But we want to help. And the reality is domestic abuse is a massive problem in the UK. And the church is not exempt from it. But abuse is not part of God's plan for marriage. There is no place for it in marriage. And will not be put up with within kings. And I want you to know that. You can come and talk to us about it. However, not all of those three reasons, abuse, adultery or abandonment, necessarily provide grounds for remarriage. Provide grounds for divorce or separation, but not necessarily for remarriage. And this is something as an eldership that we're continuing to discuss and work through together. 
So it's so important that you ask for help and advice as early as possible. Please come and talk. I think if nothing else, if you're struggling in your marriage, please come and talk. In so many situations, the first time help is requested, things have already got so bad that it's difficult to find a way back through. So the earlier you come, the easier it is to find a way back through. But we also have loads of stories of people at King's who have come from very difficult places and are now in a place of fruitfulness and blessing in their marriage as well. I was talking to a friend of mine this week and he's been married for many, many decades. And he just said, look, he shared very, very honestly, very, very humbly, he said, look, the first three years of the marriage were really, really difficult. They were tough. There, there, there was um, ill health, um, parents were difficult, and they were like chalk and cheese. What is it they say? They say something about, was it opposites attract? Well, they probably do, but that then means there's a whole load of working out how do two people who are completely different work it out? And, and he said it took two to three years for it, start to, for it to start improving. It was, it was hard work. But many decades on, he loves her more now than when they got married. And it's as though that love has been tested in the fires of adversity ill health, difficult circumstances. There's a richness to it that isn't there at the beginning. We serve the hope bringer. And he can bring hope into difficult marriages as he can in any other area of life. And then lastly, just on this little section on divorce, I just want to say that what what about for you if you're here today and you have been divorced or maybe you've remarried. Can I say um, humbly, firstly, well done for being here, for being sat here, for listening to me on this subject. I imagine that for some of you that was really, really hard because you're wondering, oh no, what is Paul going to say? And it's painful. So when people talk about marriage or or, or, or divorce, it's, it's just a difficult thing. And I just want to honour you um, in being here today and listening. You may feel, I didn't have a lot of choice, but, but I still want to honour the fact that you're here and you've, you've sat through that. Can, can I say as well, please can I encourage you to make sure, though, that you've processed stuff well with God. That where necessary, you have sought forgiveness. Where necessary, where wise, you've sought forgiveness. That you've repented of things that you got wrong before. That you have done business with your father. That you have got free from pain. You've got free from the sin. That you've worked stuff out. If you made mistakes, that you've worked it out now. That you've processed it with God. Don't ignore the past. You've got a father in heaven who wants you to bring everything to him so he can help you work through it. And I want to say that if you have remarried, 
You are properly married today. You are. You're, and everything that Andrew said last week and everything that I have said about marriage this week is true for you. And I want you to embrace that and to know it and to celebrate in the good of it. And what it says in Romans 8 verse 1, that there is now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus, is totally true for you as well. Amen? Amen. It's true for you as well. So what about the last, the last part? So we've looked at what marriage is. We have looked briefly um, at divorce what about lastly, my last section, which is more sort of practical points. Can we put it up? How did I word it in my very humble way? Oh, some great advice. So some great advice, learning to love. The reason I can say some great advice is actually, to be honest, I've nabbed it off a whole load of different people through the week. So I pick people's brains and I've got four or five things that um, I think uh, would be really good to put into practice I think marriage is really is a process of learning to love. It is. It's a, a, an ongoing um, process there. Can I firstly say, um, I think the first bit of advice is, you know, just be kind to each other. Be kind, encourage, be patient, love. All of those one anothering verses in the Bible that talks about how we are with one another in the church, actually, first apply them to your spouse. I, I realise, if I'm honest, and I tell you, it's an absolute killer preaching this sort of stuff in many ways, because as you're working your way through it, you think, oh no, how far short am I falling? But, but just on this first point, I, I realise, you know, I can, I can go through my day and look to pastor and, and serve the church well. And I can, if I'm honest at times, soak up some stuff that isn't particularly nice. And I can be smiley and I can be polite and I can be full of grace and love. And I get home and my dear wife Chloe gets both barrels. It's wrong. Paul, don't do it. And that can be the same for any of us, isn't it? The people we know, the people we love the most, see the worst of us. That's not acceptable. Is it? The ones we love. We want to give them our best. So that was the first thing. Just be kind, encourage, be patient. Second thing. Learn to compromise. Learn to prefer. Chloe described it, and I, I'm still trying to get my head around this. She said, Chloe described it as, pick your battles. Which I'm not quite certain what she meant as I'm married to her. Do you know what I mean? I'm trying to work out quite what she's got, got uh, lined up there. But just daily compromise in the little things. You know, I have got three wardrobes. Yeah, I have. I've got the main wardrobe. Everyone's looking quite shocked here. I've got the main wardrobe. I've got the floor. And I've got the banisters. Any one of them are good for my clothes. Chloe said, Chloe said to me, daily compromise in the little things. 
Although I did say to her as she's describing this problem that she's got with me, that of course our wardrobe is so full of someone else's clothes that I couldn't get mine in there even if I wanted to, but we won't go there. Learn to compromise, learn to prefer. I mean, I'm joking, but actually, no. What does your spouse want? What is it they want? Thirdly, take time to understand each other. Celebrate difference and learn to love the imperfect. On your marriage day, on your wedding day, you stood there and you made those promises and you probably look the best you're ever going to look. Full of high hopes for everything. And then you realise you've God's going to teach you to love the imperfect. Adam and Miriam, like perfect couple there, you know. Miriam's learning, you know, that maybe Adam's not quite as perfect as she first thought on that wedding day. And Adam's learning that Miriam still is as perfect. (laughs) But the reality is different people, different personalities, different family cultures crashing in together and suddenly you're there 24-7 just learning to live together. Um, You know, even just how you do Christmas. Different Christmas traditions, trying to work all of that out together. Understanding each other, how you give and you receive love. Really, really important. Can I encourage you to ask the question, How I'm going to ask you a question, I don't know how you're going to answer it, but how are you going to invest into your marriage this year? Marriage course starts beginning of March, runs for about seven weeks. Opportunity to really talk, invest in your marriage. Maybe you should be on that. It's, it's, it's about building your marriage, not sorting out problems. That's what the marriage course is about. Taking it from one step, wherever it is, building it stronger. Maybe you should get the book that um, uh, Andrew recommended, Tim Keller's book, The Meaning of Marriage. But how are you going to invest into your marriage? Take time to understand each other. Number four, different stages of life. Um, uh, since preaching this morning, I've realised I've been married 17 years. So that's good. You know, I didn't know it when I preached at Hastings Venue. I have suitably been corrected. So, um, <laughs> but even in 17 years, I realised that you go through different stages when the kids are toddlers to being teenagers. Life changes loads. So then you've got no children at home because they've moved out. And then you've got grandchildren. It's just, marriage is forever changing. It's never static. Never gets to that point where you think, right, I can rest. You're always moving, always changing. Works the same. Isn't it? Growing in responsibility, uh, stress, into retirement, into a busy retirement, into a slower retirement. Everything changing, everything moving around. There are different stages to life. Think about that, discuss what's going on, look to understand one another. Health as well can also be affected in the stages of life. And then fifthly, just where do I want to finish? You know what? God sees, God knows, and God helps. Invite him into your marriage. When it's tough, when it's not, invite him into your marriage. You know, marriage never turns out quite how you think it will. It doesn't. 
Always different. But it's amazing how much can be worked through. And the grace of God is powerful stuff. It really is. Dynamic, life-changing stuff. The grace of God. And you've got the Holy Spirit living inside you. Come to God, ask him for help. Ask him for strength. If you can, and you're in the privileged position that you can, come together and ask God for help. You don't have to pray for a long time. Be a couple of minutes. Just push through those awkward barriers of it feeling awkward as you don't know quite what to pray. Push through. And if you keep doing that, you know what? Become more normal. Become less weird as you come to your father together. Why don't we stand? I'm just going to pray and then hand back to Alice. Lord, I thank you that marriage is uh, your idea. I thank you whatever is going on in life, whether we're married, whether we're single, whether we're widowed. Lord, I thank you, Lord, that your grace is sufficient and your power is made perfect in weakness. My grace is sufficient for you and my power is made perfect in weakness. That's what God says. My grace is sufficient.